Hello, Titan family, and welcome to another episode of the Fram and Friends podcast. So happy to be here with uh, today's guest, and here to introduce her is your president and our podcast host, Fram Virgie. Hey, Titan family, it's good to see you, even though it's virtual and, and maybe you're just listening, um, but um, uh, it's great to be here and, and uh, be connecting virtually. It's so much harder to connect this way, and I miss being on campus and seeing everybody and uh, hearing from you and talking to you. Um, so this is one of the ways, many ways in which we try to make sure that we stay in touch and we stay uh, connected as uh, a community, as the Titan community. Um, I'm not going to do a long introduction today because I'm going to hope that uh, our conversation actually is that introduction, uh, that it actually uh, uh, progresses, if, if we're lucky, uh, to uh, 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 the background information and then to the purpose and the reasons why uh, I think is very important that we have this conversation today. But our, our guest today is uh, someone who I love to see on campus all the time. Uh, she always lights up the, 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 the space and the place that she is in. Uh, she always makes me smile. She always makes me laugh. So, um, you know, I have to admit there are a few people on campus, very few, that um, when I see them coming toward me, I might walk the other way. When I see Cecil, I walk straight to her. I want to talk to her. I want to connect with her because it, 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 uh, it makes uh, for a fulfilling day. So my guest is Cecil Chick. Um, and uh, we'll get into what she does at Cal State Fullerton and why she does it and the importance of it to our campus as we move along. But I wanna just start, um, uh, we, can, we, we can say that Cecil is the Director of Engagement and Learning for, our, for HRDI, for Human Resources, Diversity and Inclusion. Um, but of course, uh, she's so much more than anything like uh, just the title. Um, and I want you to, to, to meet her and know her from, from whence she comes. So, uh, you know, I know because uh, we've talked about it and I've heard her share her story that she was born in Hong Kong and she moved to uh, the U.S. Uh, when she was three and a half. Cecil, welcome. Glad to have you here. But what the heck? Why, were you, why was your family moving to the United States in the first place? Good morning. Um, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, and that's a great place to start. So um, my family lived in Hong Kong. Um, and that includes my my parents and then my grandparents as well. My grandparents actually moved from a northern province in China during the Second World War to escape kind of um, the turmoil there and moved to Hong Kong, where it was a British colony. Um, so it was safer in Hong Kong and they started to to you know, start their family there and they met and got married and then my parents came along um, and at the point in time America was as I'm sure we hear it now is the land of opportunity right um, and so my parents made that decision in the mid 90s um, I'm sorry in the mid 80s to to kind of come um, and the reason why was the education system in China and Hong Kong is very different than the states right here in America, everybody's guaranteed a public education up until high school. Um, and if you choose to, you can go into higher education, um, but it's not like that in China and in Hong Kong. It gets really competitive as you continue through the school system. And a lot of folks don't, don't get the opportunity to make it if you don't make the grades, if you don't pass the test, if you don't pass the exams, um, that type of that opportunity for higher education is not available. So um, my parents made a decision very early on so that my sisters and I, so I have two um, younger sisters, um, would have the opportunity to to gain an education 
um, that progresses past primary school, elementary school, high school, the ability to get into higher education, especially since my, my parents had three girls, right? Um, the idea of going through education and being male-dominated fields and, and things like that, coming from very traditional culture as well, um, they really wanted to give us an opportunity to, to expand and do things that they never had a chance to do. My parents never, um, I think my mom finished like a middle school equivalent and my dad finished high school and neither of them had an opportunity to get into higher education. And so for them, ensuring a chance for their children to be educated is the reason why we moved to the States. Yeah, I mean, I hear that it's America, the land of opportunity. And um, mm -hmm. uh, we also, I know we both believe as do, as everybody at, that works at Cal State Fullerton, that education is the best um, a vehicle for that opportunity. So, you know, we're kindred spirits because, you know, I moved to the United States when I was five. Uh, my dad moved from a British colony to India. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have this, uh, we came with parents who were, fir we're first generation with our parents um, who um, came for us. Uh, it's a very special, special thing to know and understand. And it's something that actually our nation seems to have built, been built upon so many times, which is the sacrifice by our parents to come to this country and work so that we would have a better life. Uh, but of all the places to move, they came to Florida. Um, <laughs> and I know you grew up in Miami. I mean, my goodness, uh, 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 Chinese American coming, Chinese coming from Hong Kong to Miami and to probably what, what I think of as one of the most cosmopolitan and diverse places in the country. Um, um, but diversity that you certainly hadn't been exposed to before. How, how was that how, growing up with that rich Latinx culture? You've got Cuban, Puerto Rican, uh, all kinds of different cultures there. Um, that must have been formative and special for you too. Yeah, um, so my parents moved to Kendall, Miami. Um, and the reason why is I have a, an aunt and uncle who lives there. And so we moved in with them when we first came to the States and they owned a, like a Chinese restaurant right off of a, right kind of close to the Calle Ocho district where like robust, like you mentioned, like Latinx culture everywhere. Um, and so growing up, I actually never really understood what like mainstream culture was because I was so like enclosed in this like Puerto Rican, Cuban, Latinx culture that I thought it was perfectly normal to, to learn Spanish. Right. So I actually picked up Spanish before I learned English because um, I didn't learn English until I started kindergarten where, you know, you, you you're taught in English. Um, but still, like any cultural references, anything that I deemed normal as American, I actually thought it was just just Puerto Rican and, and Cuban culture. Right. And it wasn't until kind of when I went to college that I realized, oh, so you don't hug and kiss strangers to greet them. Got it. That's weird. <laughs> Um, and, and so like these little, like, oh, so like family doesn't mean like just your immediate family, right? Like everybody comes together. Extended family is family, right? And that's what I've learned. And it kind of connects with my own culture as well. Um, and so going to like college, I remember meeting friends who are like, oh, I'm having family dinner. Would you like to come? And I'm like, okay, where's the rest of your family? It's like your, your mom, your dad and your siblings, but where's everybody else, right? So this idea that I had to unlearn some of these cultures when I had to like kind of exit this bubble living in Southern um, in South Florida. And it, it kind of like 
pinpointed various like differences, right? Like I didn't really understand what mainstream American culture was because I was so enclosed in in like this um, this like Southern Florida mix of like all different Latinx cultures because you, in one area you have little Havana, then you go down the street and there's little Haiti, right? There's so many different like Caribbean cultures that are mixed together that I just thought was, this is what America was about. So obviously um, we're gonna get to the fact that uh, as the director of engagement and learning for HRDI, uh, diversity and inclusion is, 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 is your, your ethos, it's in your blood, it's part of who you are and it's part of the reason I love you so much. But um, I have to imagine that as you think back to that time in South Florida, in immersed in all these different cultures, that that shaped you um, and um, do you think back and say, well, I guess now it kind of makes sense where I ended up? Um, sort of, right? So it, even though I was in a very culturally rich area, um, there weren't a lot of Chinese people around. Um, it was like, my last name is Chick. The kids were ruthless with the name, with the last name like Chick, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so it was very, um, I was immersed in this difference, right? It was, there was differences everywhere. Like no matter where I went, difference in family makeup, difference in culture and food and language that was spoken, yet I was still different, right? Like my difference was so different than their different that it, it stood out. Right. Um, I remember going to school and, and folks still like saying things to me like, oh, making the assumption that because I was Chinese, I must have recently caught here from China, right? And so I must not know English. I must not know any cultural references. I remember in middle school, some a student was shocked that I knew who Beyonce was, right? So, <laughs> like, so even though I was so a part of this multitude of differences, my difference was still greater than their differences. Wow. Right. Um, and so I didn't think anything of it. Right. So I did my best to what I think everybody does. You try to assimilate, you try to fit in and that's what you do. So growing up, like I didn't watch like mainstream TV. I sat and watched like telenovelas with my friends, right. And their families. Um, we didn't watch, um, like the, the primetime TV shows on Saturdays. Right. I ended up watching Sabah Niante with all my friends because that was the variety show that played all day Saturday and they're all going to talk about it later. So um, I, I had to assimilate into this culture. At that moment, I didn't even know that it was a different culture. I was just assimilating to what I thought was normal. But it wasn't until I was brought out of there that I recognized that the difference that I had within those difference and then those things that I picked up became even a bigger difference. So when I went into like college or any other spaces that were predominantly white, folks didn't know what to do with me, right? Who is this Chinese kid that from what I know, stereotypically, like you should be quiet. <laughs> you should be, you should be like conservative. You should, um, there are these different stereotypes that pop up, but then I, I go in and I give them a hug and I greet them, right? And I laugh out loud with them and we, I make jokes and they're like, oh, this is different. I don't know what to do with you because I didn't fit those stereotypes, but it wasn't until later on that I recognized what those differences meant, right? Um, and how picking up these different pieces of identity piece, like I pieced together like a whole self. And it wasn't until like later on in grad school that I recognized these pieces and what they meant and how they, how they make up who I am in this history and this walk and this journey that I took, right? 
lend me to do what I'm doing now. Um, and it's not to say that um, it was all great, right? No, there were some really not so exciting moments that kind of happened. And I had to reflect and really become aware of what those identities mean, right? What does it mean for me to be someone who's an immigrant, someone who's an English learner, someone who has family that, um, that emigrated here, and I don't, I'm not even a first generation, I wasn't even born here, right, and what is that, what does those things look like, and how did I feel growing up, and then what did I learn about myself, right, and from there, how can I take some of, like, the pieces of my own journey and create opportunities for folks now to do the same, right, so I believe fundamentally it's important to know who you are, it's important to know your roots, it's important to understand how these different pieces that seemingly don't make sense, right? Something as easy as the way you greet people, um, I had to learn is different. It is not okay to reach out to a stranger and hug and kiss them. I didn't know that until I went to college, right? Because I'd grown up thinking that was the norm my, my whole life, but I had to take that interaction and reflect on it. Where did I get that from? Why do I think it's normal? Why do other people think it's not normal? Right, um, and then using using that type of awareness, when you have that, you're more at a you're you're in a better position to be empathetic towards other people. I think, and I think that's what my experience has led me to is the ability to build empathy for other people, like understanding that while differences are around, there's still a separation between differences, right? And the need and the want to give up certain identities so that you can assimilate strong. Right. But then later on feeling regret about it. Like, oh, I can't believe I didn't do that. One of my biggest regrets is not learning how to write, um, write and read in Chinese, but I can read and write in Spanish. <laughs> right. Um, so like, how, how can I reconcile these things? And I think for me, it comes from a place of empathy. And when I have that, it's easier for me to interact with folks who are then different than me, right? And create spaces for people to understand what these differences mean and how they, they can impact our day-to-day -day life. You know, you've said so many interesting things in there. Um, as I was thinking about talking to you, I, I was gonna ask questions about assimilation and, and your experience with assimilation because Assimilation can have a negative connotation or it can have a positive connotation depending on who you are in time and place. I also was going to ask you questions about the other because, um, you know, who is the other? And uh, depending on what is quote unquote normal, um, here you were in the middle of a rich and vibrant Latinx uh, uh, cultural experience. And so the other for them was you, and yet uh, mainstream, if you want to call that, um, uh, American culture was also the other for them and for you. So what a, an interesting mix-up, if you will. But the probably the most important thing in looking and listening to that entire answer from you was what you get from that is empathy. So you move from understanding the other the need for assimilation while still finding your own identity and knowing who you are and doing that with empathy for others who are going through exactly the same thing. So all of that makes perfect sense for why you went off to Central Florida and became a math major. I mean, come on, <laughs> it makes no sense at all to me. First of all, it's impressive and scary that you were a math major for me because I am a mathophobe. But, um, you know, so, uh, but I, I wonder about is that, is that a stereotype for a 
Chinese immigrant, Asian uh, conforming uh, 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 stereotype? Was that pressure from mom and dad? Or were you just in love with math, which could also be actually absolutely true? What was it about becoming a math major at mm. Central Florida? So my, I've always wanted to be a teacher. So that was my goal in life. Like I remember starting school and hating it um, and thinking like my, my personality has always been, if you hate something, well then go fix it, right? So in my mind, I went to school, I didn't enjoy it. So I want to be a teacher. And when I started at University of Central Florida, um, I actually started as a social science education major. I thought I wanted to be a history teacher. Um, and I took my first history class and I slept through half of it, I'll be honest. And I realized, okay, maybe history isn't for me. <laughs> um, and so I was thinking about, well, what do I want to do? And so um, the, the, the journey into mathematics was actually my easy way out. It was simple. It was easy. It was something I remember being good at in, in high school. And so I kind of copped out and did mathematics. Um, and ultimately ended up being a high school, middle school math teacher. I wanted, I, I was always passionate about education. I believe education is paramount and important to so many aspects of our life. And it's the main reason why my parents emigrated to this country, right? So it felt fitting to insert myself into this field that was the impetus for, for my family to start their journey here in the United States. So in my journey of education, math was just the cop-out answer because you had to pick a subject. You can't just be a teacher, right? Especially if you want to teach high school. So um, I couldn't do chemistry. I, science was not my thing. I hated physics in high school. So I wasn't going to go down that route. History obviously was ruled out immediately my first semester. I'm in college. So math became the next best thing. Um, speak like culturally, that's so interesting that you mentioned like family pressure. My mom and my dad wanted me be, to be a choir director. <laughs> they thought that that was the, the 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 move for me, right? They've always recognized me to be someone very different, marched to the beat of my own drum, loving the arts. So my parents have always just figured, oh, Cecil can be, Cecil can go in and do the artsy stuff. And we have two other kids to do the other stuff, to do the STEM stuff, right? Um, and so when I said I wanted to be a math teacher, um, being a teacher in Chinese culture is is a respected profession. Um, it is it is it, in the the crutch really of of a society because you're educating the youth. So when I went and announced to my parents and my grandparents that I wanted to be a teacher, there was no like there was no 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 pushback. Yes, be a math teacher, do it, do something, give back, right? No big deal. Um, but it was other moments like. Um, family friends and cousins and aunts and uncles that I would hear things like, but you're so smart, why not be a doctor? But you're so smart, why not be something else? Um, but I was really rooted in this idea of I wanted to have something to do with education. Um, and so math actually became the cop-out answer for me, which is, whew, like, nobody ever cops out with math, right? <laughs> nobody cops out with math. Quadratic formula is not something that people seek solace in, um, but for me, that's that's it, it worked. It made it it made it work, and so um, I started my journey in education um, with math because it was the easiest way out. <laughs> so I know I don't want to I, I want to keep going on your journey because I think it's going to be so instructive for people. But I don't I want to stop for just a second at um, the University of Central Florida 
and have you reflect on it and what kind of an experience you had there, what kind of a place it was, and how maybe it compares to Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. Um, they seem very similar institutions in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started at the University of Central Florida. So as a first generation student, I didn't know anything about college. Um, and I will say that uh, University of Central Florida, so UCF, is the only school that I applied to. Only one. <laughs> um, and the reason why is because my cousin went and was having a grand time there. So I figured, why not me too? Um, yeah. So I got there and it was the first time I experienced culture shock. Um, it was a predominantly white institution and growing up in South Florida, predominantly white was never something that I had a chance to really come in contact with often. And so being, and it was a pretty big school at the time. And then when I went back, as I got my, um, my master's there too, it, it was, it's currently, I think, listed as the largest institution in the nation. Um, at the time, it was the second largest institution in the nation. We had about 55,000 students. Then within 10 years, we're at 65,000 students. I think they're close to 70,000 students now um, at UCF. And so it was, um, it was an interesting journey. I, I lived in a residential hall. I shared a room with a roommate, um, learned different things. But reflecting back on my experience, I think what really kind of put me, like really connected me with the campus and what was happening was my ability to get involved. I remember my freshman year sitting in my residence hall and all my friends went to different schools. Um, my, my sister, who's two and a half or two years younger than me, um, she was going to go to college next year and everybody went to the University of Florida. That's where you went. That was the most prestigious public university in the state of Florida. That's where you go. Um, and so most of my friends went there or they went to Florida State University. So you're either Dater or you're Seminole, right? Like those are your two options. And of course, I, I went against the grain. I was like, I'm going to be a knight. Um, and so my first year was really lonely. I, I didn't know anybody. I, I was kind of like just overwhelmed by all the differences, but also my freedoms, like all of these things kind of came into play. And I, I kind of hid out in my residence hall and I didn't really do anything. I didn't really go out and do anything. And so my roommate was like, hey, I'm gonna go to this meeting, do you wanna come? And I was like, no, thank you. And she's like, they have pizza. <laughs> okay, fine, I'll go. Um, so I ended up going to this meeting and it was um, for, their, for their campus activities board. And it was this like, this unit of students that came together and provided opportunities for entertainment and engagement for everybody on campus. Right. And the first meeting I went to was for their unit that was in charge of promoting like all their events and their and what they do on campus. Right. And I remember kind of sitting down and listening to this meeting and then the person leading the meeting goes, oh, we need two volunteers to help with the tabling at this event. And then my roommate came and like she kind of like raised my hand. And the next thing I know, we volunteered and um, and that's how I got connected to campus. It was through student involvement. Um, I, I went on to work as the director of the promotions committee, and then I ended up becoming the student director of this, like, like it was, we had like a $400,000 budget to provide concerts, comedians, um, cultural and fine arts, like all these different activities that really, like, when I think back to my college experience, it wasn't all the math problems that I had to solve. It was the ability to work with these friends and like build relationships, but do things for our campus. Like um, 
I, I met Jimmy Fallon. We high-fived while he, as he was ice skating in front of the ice skating rink on our campus. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak to folks like, um, like different artists, like Sierra came to campus and I met her and her dog Tyson, right? Like all these little different things are the things that I remember um, thinking back to my experience at UCF. It was these like outside the box things that in my opinion, really prepared me to be a teacher because I got the math in classes, but being involved helped me learn things like time management, right? It helped me learn public speaking. It helped me learn um, how to manage professional relationships, interviewing skills, um, updating my resume, right? All of these things that my math classes, like whew, my, my the calculus class didn't teach me how to do that, right? It was through these involvement class, like opportunities that really build the skills that I needed that go beyond like um, knowledge and content. It was, these are the skills that I needed to be a teacher. And I'm really grateful that I was able to combine those things together so that I became, so I was able to become like an impactful teacher um, in that journey. You know, the, the we know you became a teacher and, and, and taught math in middle school and high school. We also know that you went back, as you mentioned, and you went back and got your master's, but you didn't go back and get your master's in math. You made a complete uh, directional change um, and went back and got your, your, your master's in, in mental health um, and mental counseling. Um, obviously very important for the work that you do today. Um, obviously very um, impactful for who you are uh, today and um, great tools. But what was it that made you make that switch? Talk to our maybe our students who are listening and are finishing up their BA and wondering whether or not, you know, oh my gosh, I'm a history major or oh my gosh, I'm a physics major, but I don't really want to do anything with that. I have this passion for social justice or for um, uh, counseling or whatever. How did you make that change? Um, it actually came from the interactions that I had with students um, when I was teaching at the high school and middle school that I was at. Um, I recognize that as a teacher, right, especially when you're in a core academic field, um, there are a lot of red tape in terms of things that I can and cannot do to support students, right? Like, um, and at the time when I was a teacher, it was when Florida was switching to Common Core. So the, the stakes were high, they're moving into performance space. Um, funding and all this other stuff. And I had students that would come to me and recognize me as someone that they trust and they wanted to talk to. And so I didn't mind having those conversations with them. I had students tell me about, you know, how they're struggling in school. And then eventually these conversations became deeper, right? So now they're telling me about how they're homeless and they're telling me about how um, they've been sexually assaulted. And they're telling me about how they're struggling with religion and their sexual orientation, right? And at the time, I recognized that all the skills and everything that I've learned has just prepared me to be a math teacher. Um, and, I, and in those moments when students were opening up, I felt myself speechless. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do, mm. right? And I had this moment where like, well, I, I have to do better. Like, I don't know how to engage in these students and make an impactful change and see them holistically. It wasn't, being a math teacher didn't provide me an opportunity to holistically impact a student. My job was to teach them the quadratic formula. My job was to ensure that they knew that slope intercept form, right? Like that's what I had to do. And anything beyond that didn't count. Um, it didn't matter. 
And so I wanted to find something that I could holistically help students, right? Um, and that when a student comes to me and says things like, um, I'm really struggling with religion and sexual orientation, or I've been sexually assaulted by, by a family member, my immediate go-to isn't just, of course, mandated reporting, but also like, oh, like I didn't understand those things. I was speechless. I didn't know what to do. So I felt like I had to expand my knowledge. So I turned to education again, um, and I expanded my knowledge on, on human feelings and emotions, right? How do people work? What does that mean? How can you, how can you better understand people so that you're in a better position to help them? And that's where I ended up um, in my master's. So you're right, it's a hundred, 180 change from math all the way to, let's do something super logical to talk about feelings, right? Um, but it was a great kind of marriage for me in terms of um, my bachelor's was, was educational pedagogy, right? That's kind of what I focus on in mathematics. And then going in and getting my master's in human relations and emotions, right? And kind of what makes people tick and learning how to read in between the lines and understand people in a more meaningful and deep manner provided me kind of the platform to do what I do now, right? Educational pedagogy and understanding of human emotions and experiences. I do want to point out uh, real quick to the students that are listening that much of this journey, at least in the higher education front, began with that roommate who dragged you to that event. <laughs> we hear that narrative a lot at Cal State Fullerton because we're, we're 40,000 students. We're big, like University of Central Florida. And we have those students who just, they don't get engaged right out of the gates. And we're working on, you know, the first year experience and everything. Um, but I just wanted to point out that once you went to that one thing, all those doors opened up to you. And so I think that's an important message for our students uh, before we go on to Fram's next question. So um, I want to, because I know I want to make sure we use the time and, and, and uh, cover as much as I can here. Um, I, you, you, get your, you get your master's and, you know, you, you come to Cal State Fullerton. So how did you come to Cal State Fullerton and what, 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 what attracted you here? How did you land here? And then um, you're the director of engagement and learning in HRDI. What the heck is that? <laughs> um, so I ended up in California. So um, my wife and I, um, we've been married for three years. And she is, um, we met when we were actually at University of Central Florida. So going back to that, like um, UCF really provided me not just an education, but really my life partner. Um, and so in, in that journey, I met her when she was in school and she received a scholarship through the Department of Defense um, to get her master's in statistical data mining. And um, the contract requires her to work the, um, the, the kind of the, the scholarship off um, working at a naval base. And so when she went through this process to get the scholarship, she was chosen by a naval base here in Southern California. And so after she finished school, she would have to come and work off the two years that she earned a scholarship and a contract. So that's actually the reason why we moved out here um, is to fulfill this contract for her scholarship. And in kind of thinking about what it is that I want to do when I grow up, right, again, uh, what I wanted to focus in on, um, I started off my journey in higher education immediately after I got my master's. I never um, got registered to, to be an actual mental health counselor. For after I graduated, I immediately went into higher education. Um, and 
working, I actually started off as a residential life coordinator. So I worked in housing um, for a little bit and, and through that work, did social justice work, right, with our residents and things like that. And um, I was lucky enough to be given an opportunity and I was appointed the interim director of diversity and inclusion at the, at the university I was working at at the time. Um, and so I fell in love with the work. I loved working with the students. I love creating those opportunities. And but something that I noticed um, was working with students is great. Um, but to make meaningful and impactful change, you have to think kind of the way that a student thinks. Who is it that they interact with every day? Who they identify as their role models? What's well, the faculty and staff at the university every day, right? So how can I create even more change? And that's why this position at Cal State Fullerton interested me. Um, it's the work that I've been doing. I'm doing programming, I'm doing education, I'm making connections and building community and, and educating folks, right, on this idea of differences and how we can navigate them. But I'm doing it now for, for our faculty and our staff, right? Who are the role models for our students? right, either directly or indirectly, our actions matter. And our students see them every day and either knowingly or unknowingly, they mimic them, right? The way that we treat each other is the way that they're gonna, they're gonna treat each other. So how can we make impactful change and really think about like, how are we educating students in the way that we act and the way we behave? So that's the reason why Cal State Fullerton's position interested me because it was everything that I love about doing diversity work but finally getting the opportunity to work with kind of the faculty and staff and students like as a campus constituent and how can we really affect impactful change on a college campus. So if you were, um, if you were at a, a backyard barbecue and someone said, you know, Cecil, tell me what you do. And you had you just in a, in a, encapsulated in a, in, a, in a statement, what would, you, what would you describe to them as your job? Oh. That's interesting because folks ask all the time, right? And it's it's a hard job to give descriptions to. And I will be honest, I pick and choose what I say depending on who I'm speaking to. Um, I've had Uber drivers ask me, oh, what do you do? And I'm, I work at a university, right? And, and the kind of where it stops. But when I meet people that will understand what I do and the meaning behind what I do, that's when I tell them like, oh, I create opportunities for folks to learn about themselves so that they can treat others better, mm -hmm. right? Like in one sentence, that's kind of what I feel like I do. In simple layman's terms, I create opportunities for folks to learn about themselves so they can treat other people better. It goes back for me, that idea of building empathy, yeah. right? And so how can I, how can I create those opportunities on a college campus so that, so that it's embedded in, in the way we work and the way we behave? right like this idea of community and family and, and understanding right like how can we use empathy as a tool to educate folks and create a better community and so that's what i talk about right and then depending on who else if it's you know other academic folks telling them i work in the diversity office pretty much is like oh okay cool that's what you do um but then they're like for example my family has no clue what i do <laughs> no idea um, I've tried many a times to to approach the subject, to think through how to explain to them what I do. Um, no avail. I've sent my job descriptions to them. No avail. Um, so I, in essence, if somebody was to come up to me and ask me, like, oh, what is it exactly that you do, right? Um, I would tell them I provide educational opportunities. Like, I help create opportunities where folks can come and learn about themselves so that they can treat each other better. So another way that often um, I've asked the question to someone uh, about not just what you do, 
is to say, uh, visualize a year from now or five years from now, whatever time frame you want. And um, as a result of your work, what would you hope to see? Hmm. For me, I think I would hope to see, I'm not idealistic in that we can get away with, with oppression and racism, right? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I do wish that for me, if I'm doing my job right, I hope that a majority of our campus constituents have the skills so that they can sit down and have a conversation about something that is different about each other and themselves and not walk away with the idea of, oh, we'll just agree to disagree. I want them to walk away with the ability to understand. Okay. So with that in mind, how has your job changed uh, this year with the advent of both COVID and the issues of our na nation is trying to deal with, with race relations and white supremacy and um, uh, anti-blackness and white privilege and all the issues that are right in your wheelhouse, but also at the center of who we want to be at Cal State Fullerton as a catalyst of change and as a place that is a welcoming, um, uh, not just diverse, but inclusive environment. How has your job changed? Um, I would say we've gotten a lot more, uh, a lot busier. We'll go with that, right? Um, but for, for the good, really, um, a majority of diversity offices, I think, in universities and higher education across campus fights with this kind of the stigma, right? Like people view the diversity office as the PC police, right? Or like, we're just here to help make numbers or check boxes. Um, and I think with everything that's happening in our country, just in the year 2020 alone, right? I think it helps people better understand why offices like these exist on campuses across higher education. We're not here to police anything. We're not here to, to shame anybody and to do anything. We're here to create resources and opportunities for folks to process what's happening, right? But then take actionable steps so that they can mitigate some of these things that they're, they're seeing, right? We see a lot of folks ask the question, well, what can I do, right? Like we hear that for the past two months, what can I do? What can I do? Our office has been able to help folks find an answer, right? And it's not give them an answer, it's help them find an answer, right? Um, every office is unique, every individual is unique. The way that we create change on our campus is completely dependent on our sphere of influence and what that looks like. So we can't be prescriptive in what we do. Um, what we can do is sit down with folks and better understand how they operate ask open-ended questions and guide them to reflect on the work that they're doing, right? And then in turn, help them think of ways that they can expand the way that they provide services, the policies that they utilize, the people that they touch and they impact, right? We're trying to help them paint a bigger picture, a fuller picture, right? Not change the picture that they've been doing. We're not trying to change um, the way that folks operate. We're trying to create opportunities for folks to expand on what they've already been doing. And I think that's a great way to think about what Cal State Fullerton has been doing. Um, we are not adding new different things. We are, nothing here is brand spanking new, um, but we're now in a unique opportunity to expand what we've already been doing. And the campus is, is asking for it. They're hungry for it, right? Um, we've gotten so many emails from different colleges saying, hey, we're starting a DEI group. 
can you all come and help, right? We're doing this program, can you come consult? Um, we're creating this framework, would love to have you all um, come in and do a training, right? So now, um, busier is, is better in the fact that like, it's not a band-aid fix. We're not just checking a box. We're asking our, our, our offices to come in and, and really reflect on what they're doing and how they're doing it, right? And our office is really here to provide guidance, ask open-ended questions, create points of ref or like reflection, and then help them come up with the plan that works for them. And, and we've had so many folks come through our office in the past couple of months. Um, and, and it's not just our office in the division, it's individuals on our campus as well. Um, so to kind of paint a picture, my first year at Cal State Fullerton, um, overall, the, we were able to have close to 1,300 people come to our programs and trainings in one year's time. Um, in this past month, when we did those June dialogues, those critical conversations, we had a total of 1,001 participants in just a month, right. right? We've had so much change in the past month, and people are, like I said, hungry for it. They're interested. They want to know. They need to process, and now they're, as a whole, folks are at, what can I do? What can I do? So I think our office is a unique opportunity to leverage this idea of what can I do and create opportunities for folks to take action. So um, I hope there, that, that, that our listeners can see a thread through the development um, of where you've come from to where you are today. You know, when I came to Cal State Fullerton, I actually really believed that my whole life had been a preparation for coming to this place. Um, from the time I came to the this country as, as a first-generation immigrant, through going through public university, all the work that I did as a lawyer, to working at the chancellor's office as general counsel, it, it was all foundational preparation for me, unwittingly, no, uh, coming here and to do that. And from, I have to tell you from a, from a, from a third party's viewpoint, I feel I'm a person of faith and I believe that we all are put in the place and space that we are for a reason. Um, and I feel the same about you Cecil and, and, and about your journey. Um, I, I, you know, if you, on a, on a personal note, I mean, you've, you've always been very open with who you are and where you come from. Um, you've shared in many, places and spaces where I have been with you that you identify as a as a Chinese immigrant, uh, American, a, a lesbian, gay, uh, English learner, uh, uh, you know, all these elements that you, you and for me, you're the symbol of who we want to be at Cal State Fullerton, the idea of inclusion uh, and uh, what America, what we dream America could be and should be. Um, and I look at my life as the American dream of the culmination of the American dream. And I hear yours and I, I feel the same way. Um, you're so open and accessible to everybody as we should be that part of diversity and inclusion that's so important. And you do it as a vibrant and joyful thing as opposed to something that is a, a task or an obligation. Um, so I, I want you if that resonates with you, I want you to talk to our listeners and be reflective of today's America um, and what advice you would give to people on our campus, to people in our community in Orange County and in the nation. Where do we go from here 
to make sure that what's been, I know your life has not been all roses. I mean, I totally get that, mine either. But where do we go to make sure that our students and our future is fulfilled in the same way that it's been fulfilled for us? And hopefully in a much more even open and vibrant and, and equitable way for us. Where, what, what, what advice do you have? Hmm. I think one, so I had a mentor in college and she said something to me that always stuck with me. And she told me, you, you begin your journey with the ending in mind, right? And so I think that it's important to reflect on what it is that you want to see, right? And know and, and like understand what your values and your own beliefs are. Like, what is it that you want to see? How, how, how is it that you want things to change? And then within your sphere of influence, um, I recommend that you take one small step every day towards that goal. Um, one small step, right? And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something grand, something big, like you don't have to be the one to end systemic oppression, right? But you can do something a little bit something every day and stick to it. And it's 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 about perseverance. It's about um it's about being staying hopeful, right? And being mindful of like what is it that gives you hope? Right? What is it that gives you like, what do you put your faith in? Right? And it could be faith in religion, it could be faith in anything or person or whatever. Um, I put my faith in in kind of the, the, the goals that I have in the long run, right? I never thought growing up that I would have a chance to marry my wife. Um, we actually ended up having two weddings. Because when Trump was elected, my wife and I were worried that something would happen with same sex marriage. Um, so we ended up getting married before he got inaugurated. Um, and, and then had a wedding like party like a year after. Um, but kind of thinking through like remembering our history and knowing how far we've come and yet how much we have to go, but thinking about like, what can you do in, in, your, in, your, in your world, right? Because it's when we all take one small step, right? That collectively we move forward. And so what is it that you want the ending to look like? And what can you do today, no matter how small, how can you contribute to that? And I think that's that's kind of how I keep my faith. And in times when things have not been great or looking, turning on social media right now, right? And seeing kind of things that are happening and that are that are hurtful and painful and, and, and it might incite anger, whatever the case may be, right? Like, I think it's important to kind of keep like, what can you do today, right? Like, what is your one small pebble that you can pick up today so that down the line, you would have moved a mountain? So speaking of uh, what we can do today, um, uh, you, 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 I think you know how personal for me that the, our journey for diversity, equity, and inclusion is on our campus, how important it is for me to fulfill the dreams that we have to have a um, accessible, equitable, uh, welcoming experience for our students that is um, uh, going to set them up to be great community builders along the lines of what you said. This isn't just uh, for our math majors to learn how to do those quadratic equations. It's for them to learn to be good human beings and to take, take care and give back and build community. Um, and I know how important that is to you as well. And, but I, I also know that um, at this time and place, uh, statements or expressions of, 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 of uh, uh, need for change, while important, 
are just that. And actions are what are necessary and important. Um, and I know what we're doing on campus and the list is extensive and long. And I know what we're doing in Orange County and nationally to try and change these things. But maybe for our listeners, as we get close to closing here, uh, maybe you can share some of the initiatives that we are engaged in, um, that you are engaged in, that HRDI is engaged in to help move the needle on our campus with respect to social justice, inclusivity, inclusive excellence, uh, equity, um, building of community on our campus. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. It kind of borderline almost frustrates me a little bit as well, because I go through campus and I hear people say things like, oh, we're not doing anything, right? And I like, I wish they could just come follow me for a day, right? And recognize right. all the things that we do every day. Um, so, to, to start, like, I don't even know where to start, right? There's so much that we're doing. Um, I think overarchingly, I think we can talk about maybe our Titans Together initiative, right? And it's, it's, it's this multi, like just so many multifaceted way, right? That we're trying to create opportunities for folks to get engaged, but also really reflect on our practices. And I think that's the root of what we're trying to get at. We're trying to understand what our practices are and what in those practices is, is creating a barrier for students in terms of equity, right? And then how can we mitigate that? Really, that's what we're doing. Um, to start with this understanding, um, we worked together this past summer with faculty and staff on our campus, and really to provide foundational knowledge, we created this 90-minute module on, on racial equity. Um, it's to help folks just understand, like something that everybody complains about is this idea of shared language, right? When I say diversity, equity, and inclusion, I have a definition in my mind of what that means. It might be very different than somebody else sitting in the table across from me, right? So we're trying to create these opportunities for shared knowledge and content and understanding of, as a campus, this is what racial equity looks like for our campus, right? This is what it means for Cal State Fullerton. So really educate folks on kind of just introductory terms, understanding of bias and this, that, or another. So folks, we're all on the same page, right? So if we're going to fight this fight together, then we need to use similar language and have the same tools. So we have that module that we'll be rolling out to anybody and everybody on campus, faculty, staff, students. Our goal is to ensure that every person on our campus gets an opportunity to engage in this module, right? Foundational knowledge. Um, and then I'm sure we've seen the campus-wide announcements for our common read, right? Um, another similarity thing, right? We're trying to get folks on the same page, and that mitigates the the issue of, I want to talk about diversity, but I don't know where to start. I want to talk about equity and inclusion, but I don't know where to start. Well, having something like a common read, right? We're all reading the same book. So we're going to gather the same subjects from it and themes, and then we can talk about those things, right? How can we take something like a book and expand it to the themes and issues that are occurring in our campus, in our, in our local communities, and our nation today, so that we have the same point of entry, right? And for me, that's what's so great about something like a common read. You don't need prior knowledge to engage. You just need to have access to the book and, and have the time to read it, right? Um, we're also doing things like racial healing circles. We attended um, a conference a, a couple weeks ago, and we're trying to create opportunities for folks to really talk about race on our campus and better understand people's lived experiences and, and providing opportunities, hopefully, through just one lens of what we're calling narrative change. Right, storytelling is so powerful. 
um, the ability, just like kind of what we're doing now, we're using stories to help people better understand right concepts and knowledge, right? Um, so how can we create opportunities like this for more of our campus? And we're gonna do it with, with our university police department. We're gonna do it with our athletics team, right? So creating these opportunities and having folks talk about race in a meaningful way, right? And not shy away from it and not be scared, right? And so we're really trying to scaffold these skills so that when we have these conversations and dialogue, like we talked about earlier, we're not gonna walk away with the idea of we're gonna agree to disagree, right? We're gonna walk away with, with the ability to understand. Right, I, and uh, you know, uh, my own thought process on this has gone through a metamorphosis over the last several weeks and months uh, where, um, you know, obviously the first thing was to speak out and, and um, uh, emote and express the frustration and the desire and the need for change and to speak uh, 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 and for us to listen, but also to, to, to share our uh, collective frustration and anguish for um, the discrimination and the hatred in our, in, our, in our nation and the divisiveness in our nation and the um, anti-blackness in our nation and recognize the, the, the white privilege that is present. And we all have to recognize it and be cognizant of it in order to change it. And then I went to this place immediately that those are just words and we need to take action and we need action steps. Um, and what are we going to do? Gosh darn it, what are the three things that we're going to do this week, this month, this year to make sure there's a difference? Um, and I think that is important too. But now I've progressed a little bit in my, in my thinking to this of what we really need to do is change hearts and minds. Because if we change hearts and minds, the rest of it will take care of itself. If we can find a common vernacular, a common discussion, a common empathy, a common desire for, for, for equity and inclusion in the way that everybody understands and believes it has to happen, and a, and a corporate willingness to make this change, then those action items will happen. And so what we are focusing on at Cal State Fullerton, through the actions that we're taking, the professional development for faculty and staff, the uh, sharing of a common uh, set of definitions and goals, the creation of allyship among our, everybody to support each other, the desire for a, a rich, inviting, and uh, fulfilling community for all of us, and giving the tools to people, that's the changing of the hearts and minds on campus. And if we change the hearts and minds of our faculty and our staff and our students, we come together there, then as we graduate those students and they go out into Orange County, into California and the world, they can change hearts and minds. And so we, at the same time, we're convening in Orange County groups of uh, people in higher education, community groups, trying to engage in the same process. And at the same time, I'm, in, I'm convening nationally uh, uh, presidents across the country to talk about these issues and change these issues. But it all starts with Assimilation using the good word, assimilation, not the bad. Recognizing the other and knowing that the other is just us. And empathy for each other, which in short vernacular is just plain old love. Yes. Just plain old love.
Yeah, so I love this conversation. I love the chance that we've got a chance to do this and share. Um, and I love you for everything that you do for us at, on our campus um, and for our students and for our faculty and our staff, for our Titan community. And Cecil, there's one thing, as we recap the conversation before we close out, I do want to say uh, Fram and I and others have been going through and creating um, these words that sort of encapsulate who we are as an institution. And empathy is always in the top four and five. So there's that. You said when you're talking about being a teacher, you use the phrase, I have to do better. That's Titans Reach Higher. Um, you said, if you dislike something, fix it. That's, it takes a Titan. What do we see that we don't like? Injustice, intolerance, and equities. And then your work is, is fixing it. And then the one thing that you haven't touched on that is integral to who we are as an institution is being a lifelong learner. And you are also a student at Cal State Fullerton. Yes. So as we close, talk about the importance of being a lifelong learner and uh, our EDD program. Yeah, um, so I, in my professional journey, I have always kind of turned back to education to further it, right? And in this moment, um, back in kind of, I will be honest, I applied for this program kind of last minute too. Um, so 30 days before the deadline, I was sitting down with my wife and I thought about like, in order to further my career, to continue to really do this work, I think I need to have a better understanding of education because my background is not in education, in, in higher education in the sense. I can do math, I can do feelings, right? And so I think I need to grow and develop myself some more. And that's where, that's where this decision came from, right? Um, I, I love learning. I love education. It is the foundation of what, what I do and how I do it. It's, it's just at the core of who I am. So to go back and be able to sit down with this with this cohort that I have and and go through just learning things about the history of education and then how we can as practitioners make a difference. And that's what I love the most about the program that I'm in is every day I'm being challenged right to ask what's wrong and how can you fix it. And I'm getting tools and knowledge and information from my colleagues, from my faculty members, from my cohort mates on what is wrong and how I can, how I can change it. So I am 100% behind this idea of a lifelong learner and even beyond learning as, as an academic degree, right? We learn every day. And the idea of, of just wanting to take in as much information, um, hungry for it, right? Is something that has always been close to my heart and of course, close to my mind. Well, you know, you, you started out by saying you wanted to be a teacher and uh, I think you, uh, whether you recognize it or not, you are still teaching as we are learning. Um, so thank you for everything that you're doing to uh, help uh, us to be lifelong learners as well. Uh, love this, really fun, really, really fun. So glad you're in the Titan family. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for just, all the great things like I love walking around campus and I miss it dearly too. just seeing people around and seeing our students lounging and making friends and 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 connecting with like faculty and staff and just it's been a great place like I feel I feel like I belong here right and and it's not it, it's never something I have to question so um I, I can't thank folks enough like every individual that I have come in contact with has played a part in helping me feel the way that I feel now about our campus. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It's great to have you on uh, the podcast and I appreciate it very much. Everybody take care, be safe, uh, 
care for each other, love each other, and remember we're all Titans together. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Thank, Thank you. All. you. Thank you for listening to Fram and Friends, a collaboration between Titan Radio and Cal State Fullerton. For more episodes like the one you just heard, visit titanradio.org. Thank you.